our Lord, God and Savior, King of us all, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, turn me the glory forever. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him, and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sakes of the works Sunday of the Holy Fifty, and as I was, we've been speaking for the past few weeks, since the beginning of this period in the Church, our Mother of the Church is encouraging us to live a new, more abundant life in the spirit of the Resurrection. As I mentioned previously, the Gospels during the Holy Fifty all come from the Gospel of St. John, the Sunday Gospels all come from the Gospel of St. John, because his Gospel is the one that reminds us or emphasizes most uh, the divinity of Christ. And actually it's especially evident in this passage. Christ is speaking to the disciples and He's preparing them for the things that are going to come soon. He's going to have trials, He's going to have be tortured, and He's going to be crucified. And He tells them that they shouldn't have troubled hearts because if they believe in God, they should also believe in Him as well. Again, pointing out to the fact that He's one with the Father. And then He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I come again and will receive you with, with myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he's encouraging his disciples, and he's telling them, you're not going to be excluded from the heavenly kingdom. You will live life in the church of the firstborn, in the heavenly kingdom. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. He's trying to teach them that Heaven is, is wide enough and big enough for all who accept Him, for all who believe in Him, who all, who all are going to be or become His disciples. 
There's another way also that the fathers understood this passage where he says, in my house are many mansions. Christ is indicating that there are different levels of honor in the life to come. That everyone who struggles after a life of virtue is going to attain his or her own particular place and along with it, the glory that befits their individual acts. This understanding actually fits really well with what we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks during the Holy 50 Days. That this period of life or our time in the church should be about going the next step and going deeper in our relationship with God. My goal shouldn't be let me do sort of like the bare minimum requirements so that I can avoid eternal punishment. But instead, I need to embrace a life of transformation. Like what St. Paul says in Second Corinthians, when he says, going from glory to glory. He says, but we all with unfailed face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. Thinking about that passage or that, that verse for a second, to understand what St. Paul means by unveiled face, if you remember, he's referring to, he's making a reference to the Old Testament. He's talking about Moses. Moses, when he was speaking to God on Mount Sinai, his, his face started to shine and he would wear a veil when he would come down. His face shone really brightly and it frightened Aaron, it frightened the rest of the people. So he wore a veil when talking to them, but he removed the veil when he was speaking to God. In the Old Testament, God's glory was seen by the people through a veil. With Christ, there is no need for a veil. The things that were opaque, the things that were obscure, are now clear, are now obvious. Once we are baptized, once we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, if we continue to open our hearts to all the implications of what it means of being in Christ and being uh, putting on His image and progressing one stage of glory to another, there is no end in the possibilities to become like Christ and to grow. We, being sort of dust and, and, and earth, are invited to become like God in all ways except for sharing the essence of the Trinity. Even after this life on earth has ended, we have the potential to continue growing in glory. I mentioned a few weeks ago that one of the things we're going to do in heaven is learn more and 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 encounter God more and more throughout eternity. So when we look at ourselves sort of in the mirror, do we recognize the image of Christ staring back at us? We are called to be living icons, examples, just like the ones that are here in the church or adorned in the church. To have God's likeness shining from our faces. But sometimes we have veils. Things that keep us and block us from going from glory to glory. For example, we might be reluctant to admit that we look down or judge certain people who don't look like us, don't act like us, have different personalities than us, don't fit the our preconceived notion of what a good person or a church person should look like or should say or should do. Maybe our churches would grow if they were more accepting of people who might be different. Some of us have a veil of picking and choosing what we like about orthodoxy and ignoring the rest. I could have someone who is the best chanter and he knows all the hymns. I try to get them to read you know, a page of scripture and they can't. Or I can have the best, for example, like a Sunday school servant or the most dedicated volunteer. But they refuse to confess, they refuse to fast, they refuse to tithe. This sort of cafeteria Christianity is part of our modern culture but does not in any way fit the discipline of true believers. Some of us have the veil of, of being sort of unteachable. I'm determined to follow my own 
sort of stubborn way, the rules that I've set for myself, and I'm going to keep my same blind, irrational opinions, and the Holy Spirit Himself cannot even soften my heart. From a human point of view, going from glory to glory, especially talking about all those veils, which I think all of us have, maybe some of those to some extent, we may think that reaching this is, is, is impossible. But when we make the effort, and we prove our desire to grow into the fullness of grace, God comes to us in the Holy Spirit, pointing us to Christ who leads us to the Father. This is essentially what Christ is talking about when He says He's going to prepare a place for the disciples and for us. He's saying, I'm going to create a path to the Father that was previously inaccessible. Heaven and, and moving from glory to glory was impossible for mankind until Christ consecrated for us the means of access to Himself. He granted flesh the way of entrance into heaven. He presented Himself as an offering to God the Father. As we've been saying the past few weeks, He was the first fruit of those who have died, those who have fallen asleep. He presented Himself as a man to the Father on our behalf, so that He can restore mankind. Mankind who had been removed from the presence of the Father by sin. In order that we can behold the face of the Father again. He sits on the right hand of the Father. We're going to celebrate, God willing, on Thursday, the Feast of the Ascension. He sits in His position as Son at the right hand of the Father, so that also we, through Him, could be called sons, could be called daughters, could be called children of God. That's why actually St. Paul, he says that, he teaches us that the events that happened in the life of Christ are common to all of us. Saying that God raised us up with Him. It's not just that Christ rose from the dead. He made us sit with Him in the heavenly places. Christ, who is the Son of God by His nature, for Him, that's His place to sit at the right hand of the Father. And the glory and the dignity that we give to Christ is, is Christ's alone. But the fact that Christ, who sits there, is in all things like us except for sin, gives us also this privilege and this dignity and this opportunity. So Christ is, is not telling the disciples, I need to build places for you in heaven. When He says, I go to a player, prepare a place for you, He doesn't mean like, heaven is under construction and I need to make sure I go and fix it up so that it's nice for you. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, He says, when He's talking about the sheep on His right, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he's not saying, I'm going to prepare a place in the sense of like, I'm, I'm, I'm making a place ready for you. Him saying, I go to prepare a place for you, is on account of sin that has overcome mankind. That those of us on earth could be like the angels. When he accomplished his work, when he is, remember like I said, when is he saying this, when is this passage read, when is it in the timeline of his life? He is about to be crucified. When he finishes his work, when he is crucified, and, and he rises from the dead, he unites the world, the earth, the world below, to heaven, the world above, and gives us a path and access to the heavenly Jerusalem. And then he says, I'm going to return again to receive you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And then he says, and where you go, where I go you know, and the way you know. I really like these words because I think they perfectly fit 
our situation. Where I go, you know, and the way, you know. If you wish, if it is the delight of your heart to rest within these mansions, if you've devoted your endeavors, your work to reach the heavenly Jerusalem and dwell in the company of the holy people, then you know the way. And the way is himself. He says, through me, and no one else are you going to be able to gain that blessing. No one is going to be able to open the heavens for you. No one's ever going to be able to blaze the trail into the heavenly kingdom except for Christ. That's why Jeremiah the prophet, he says, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Actually in the Septuagint translation, it says where the good way is and you will find sanctification for your souls. So if any of us devote our efforts to this person, to Christ, we will find the good way. And through Him comes the perfect sanctification of our souls. St. Cyril tells us that we're justified by faith and are made partakers of the divine nature by sharing in the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why Isaiah in another place he says, There shall be in that time an undefiled way, and it shall be called a holy way. Christ has made for him, made Himself this undefiled, this holy way. That whoever wants to travel alongside it is going to be able to live with Him to the end of ages. Behold, the saints live in the heaven of Jerusalem. So He says, the way where I go you know and the way you know. The other part about this that, that I really like about that verse is oftentimes we, we say, I don't know what God wants from me. I don't know what God's will is for me in my life. And I think if we take the time to examine ourselves, if we take the time to sit with ourselves, if we take the time really to, to take stock in our lives, most of the time we know the way. We know the things that God wants us to do. We know what's right and what's wrong. We've been given so much. We're in, in such an age of knowledge where I don't think anymore ignorance can be an excuse for us when we stand in front of God. That, that we know the things that we are supposed to do. So I would encourage you to take the time to take stock in your life, to see what are the things that I need to do, what are the things that I need to change. Because he says, I, the way, where I go you know, and the way you know. The way is to me, I'm the way. And to be, to follow in the way means to be like me, to be transformed from glory to glory. And so I study the life of Christ, I learn the ways He lived, I learn from the way He acted, the way He spoke, the commands He gave us. And I try to align myself more and more every day with that life so that we can follow Him into the heavenly kingdom. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.